and we loved Kieran. And Kieran was kind of a bad boy. And um, it took me a few hours for, uh, you know, the cogs to move in my brain. But by the next day, I thought, you know, Kieran is perfect for that role. And it's even though I had thought parkour would be an important skill for um, as part of my plot, it wasn't all that necessary. Like Kieran could also take that role. And, and of course the advantage was I, um, I just had to spring him from youth custody Hello there, my fellow sophisticated creatives. Welcome to JCV Art Studio from the dressing room. My name is Joanna, and I'm the author of The, Unravel of the Unraveling and Dealer's Child, which is set to be released late August and early September. Ozzy, of course, is in the studio with me. No one can actually see him, but he just came from the groomers last week. He's looking very dashing. Today's podcast, we're having a discussion with an author who lives near Nelson, BC. Uh, and thank goodness we are in the same time zone. Um, I've been arranging an interview with an author from Japan, and I had to do a little bit of math. <laughs> so um, I'm very glad this author is in the same BC time zone as me. Now, as a child, this author published the Neighborhood News at 25 cents a pop. I love this. Then she was the editor of two school newspapers. Her first novel was a finalist for the Arthur Ellis Award for Best Unpublished Crime Novel and the 2019 Lefty Award for Best Debut Mystery Novel. Her, now, I'm just thinking here, given her early, early experience with um, news reporting, just, it just hit me now. It's, it's neat that her protagonist is a newspaper reporter, her protagonist being Stella Mascani, and we're going to be talking about this author's second novel in this series, the second novel being Lucky Jack Road. Judy Tevs, welcome to the dressing room. Hi, Joanna. It's great to be with you today. Thank you. I hope I pronounced the last name correctly. Well, I'm going to correct it just a little yes. bit because it's unusual. It it actually rhymes with waves, so it's Taves. Taves. Okay. The, the W is pronounced as a B. Taves. Like the like the hockey player. That's right. If you know Jonathan Taves, you've heard the name before. Judy Taves. <laughs> Perfect. Okay. So, Judy, before we get into your novel, the retired personal trainer in me is curious about the three nonfiction books you wrote with Nicole Parton about healthy living. Um, besides the obvious, you know, healthy living, what were these three these three books about? Well, um, it's interesting. You were a personal trainer. I'm a retired nutritionist. And back in the 80s, I developed a weight management program called Body Sense. 
uh, Nicole, who happened to be an old school chum of mine from way back and was also an author and journalist, took the Body Sense course at her local hospital. She lost a lot of weight and she tracked me down. I was living in Malaysia at the time and approached me to write a book about the program to bring it to a wider audience. So that's where the first book came from. And then the other two followed from that. That's okay. That's neat. Because I know with being a personal trainer, we weren't allowed to give nutrition advice because we weren't nutritionists. Yeah. And the idea of Body Sense was um, it focused on eating and activity and stress management, basically. And um, it was set up in such a way that it could be presented by trainers, okay. um, by people in fitness centers, but it was often taught by dietitians and sometimes okay. in hospitals, sometimes in the community. Okay. But um, yeah, we did a number, I, I did a number of revisions of, of it over the years. So that was kind of a fun start. And that was me marrying my love of writing to uh, the field I was in. I understand because I know I took a break from writing but I did still write personal training articles. It just, you, you can't let go. Like if yeah, you're a writer. Exactly. And you find ways in whatever job you're in uh, to do it. And um, I, besides the books, I wrote columns for my local newspaper. And um, I became the kind of writer and editor on my staff of technical reports um, uh, connected with, with healthy living. But um, but when I retired, I wanted to change, and that's when I came to fiction. Okay, okay. So let's let's get into that. I let's get into that. So what was it? What so you retire, and what was it that find that made you think mysteries, cozies? What like what do you, did you already have a passion for reading those types of novels? Well, first of all, I loved fiction. And I wanted to write fiction. I thought it would be an interesting challenge. And I also wanted to be able to make things up. Uh, You know, when I would write a column on nutrition or healthy living, I would make sure I had three sources and make sure it was very accurate. And as you know, Joanna, when you're writing fiction, you still have to be credible. So you end up doing research, but you still get to create a lot of things and, and make things up. And Um, the cozy business, I didn't set out necessarily to write a cozy. I, um, I, I loved reading mysteries and, um, you once asked me about my interest in forensics. I think it was my science background from nutrition that got me interested in that. And that made it a very nice fit with, um, with writing about, uh, um, writing mysteries okay okay good so I have just given my second novel to my editor and I'm curious have you noticed a difference in your writing from when you wrote okay so from when you wrote your first book is Give Out Creek and then you've written Lucky Jack Road and have you noticed a difference in your writing going from the second book I mean, going from the first book to the second book. Well, eventually I did, and it was positive. But, you know, we hear authors say 
the second book writes itself after this huge hurdle of writing your first book. But that wasn't entirely my experience. I had Stella Moscone, my protagonist. I had a number of characters I really wanted to keep writing about. But I, um, I actually lost my way at first on my second book. And one of, there were probably more, that, there was probably more than one reason, but one was uh, I had an idea for a young male character, a real loner who was into parkour, who liked climbing walls and everything. And parkour tends to be kind of an urban thing where, where these kids that do it go to big buildings and find ways to walk along railings and get up walls and stuff like that. And I thought it would be fun to have a character who wanted to adapt parkour more to the natural environment, um, the mountains and hills we have here. But um, it was interesting. My editor didn't find the character credible. Uh, mm -hmm. He said, oh, he's not, he should be more street smart. He's not edgy enough. And and I think what happened to me is I got kind of caught up in my in my very amateurish interest in parkour and researching it, that it was, there, there was a weakness there that I, I couldn't see at first. I thought, oh, I, I like Travis. And then coincidentally, right about, I think it was the same day I had a chat with my editor on the phone. I went to do a book club in Nelson as a guest and talk about um, Give Out Creek, my first book. And a couple of the uh, women there said to me when we were just chatting afterward, you know, I'm so glad you brought young people into the story. They were really fun. And we loved Kieran. And Kieran was kind of a bad boy. And um, it took me a few hours for, uh, you know, the cogs to move in my brain. But by the next day, I thought, you know, Kieran is perfect for that role. And it's even though I had thought parkour would be an important skill for um, as part of my plot, it wasn't all that necessary. Like Kieran could also take that role. And, and of course, the advantage was I, um, I just had to spring him from youth custody and I could just smoothly bring him right back into that story. And he, he was right for it. So um, uh, yeah, it's, it's interesting what you can get blocked on. And um, that's probably my experience. And it's funny, I, a friend of mine who, uh, um, well, now she's on to her third book, but we were writing our second books at the same time. And, and she said she had to do a major rewrite too, you know, like the confidence that came out of the first book. Um, you're still not quite an expert <laughs> in, in terms of the flow. So, um, so that's my story with, uh, with Lucky Jack Road. And, and it's also a sort of, uh, uh, I think it says a lot for listening to readers and hearing what, what people see in your stories and who they like. Um, so it, it's interesting because yeah. as, as soon as you said parkour, Kieran, that character came straight to my mind. And I, not giving away the book, like there, there's a scene where he is kind of like looking down through a window at right. what's happening, right. Right. right? And that was the scene that came to my mind as soon yeah. as, yeah. 
And and you see, I could have him do that without being an expert at parkour, but simply yeah. a young fit guy that could climb up and do that. So I had been distracted by making things more complicated than I needed to. <laughs> so that's the so that's the cool the cool okay well no I'm just I'm going to make a note because I know I ask about characters later and I'm just writing down Kieran because I don't know there's something about that character <laughs> <laughs> can you give our leaders our, our leaders our readers an idea of what Lucky Jack Road is about well Lucky Jack Road starts with a flashback um uh my, my heroine, Stella Moscone, has grown up in Nelson, left thinking she'd never in a million years come back, but begrudgingly has come back. And when she was in high school, a boyfriend called Jack Ballard got rough with her on a date, and it left her feeling really terrified of him. It wasn't sort of a minor thing. So she really wanted to avoid him when she was back in Nelson. But as soon as he realized she was back he started pursuing her very actively and that was a problem for her she did everything she could to avoid him and then he ended up dead at the bottom of a popular hiking trail and so on the one hand she might have thought okay I don't have to worry about Jack anymore but so many circumstances about that death seemed off kilter and there were so many characters that intersected with her some of them in very negative ways that she just couldn't really leave it alone. So she ends up getting drawn into that investigation too. Yeah. Oh, he, oh, yeah. We'll talk about characters. <laughs> <laughs> Thinking about your heroine, Stella, I was wondering if there were similarities or differences between you and Stella. Well, I, I guess the biggest difference is she's younger and much better looking. <laughs> but of course, we have some things in common. And the interesting thing about her is that the morning that I got an idea for, for the storyline of Give Out Creek, Stella kind of came to me just fully formed. Mm -hmm. uh, in terms of similarities, I was riding my bike into Nelson to go to work. I live about 20 minutes by car out of town. I live about uh, 18 kilometers out of Nelson on Kootenai Lake. And I was heading off and I noticed a rowboat adrift in the lake, which is not super unusual because sometimes in spring runoff, people haven't pulled their boats up uh, to shore high enough and they drift off. But then I saw a police officer holding up a big pair of binoculars looking at the boat. And I thought, oh, maybe there's a body in the boat. <laughs> and so all of a sudden, I pictured, you know, what if I were some young female journalist, because I had this interest in journalism that you picked up on early on in our conversation. And she's going into a town to, um, to go to work. And she sees this curious empty boat. And she recognizes the police officer as someone from her past also. And then it turns out that the person who is a uh, in the boat and, and does turn out to be a murder victim uh, is someone close to her too. So all of a sudden I had this character and 
an idea for my first story all wrapped up in one. So, so there's some overlap there. Um, she, uh, um, I related to her by giving her things to do that I would have enjoyed doing at her age. And I did give her my biggest hang up, which is a fear of dark water. And that was important to the plot of, of particularly give out Creek. Um, so that's about as far as it goes. I, I, I think of Stella as her own woman now as a yeah. separate person, but yeah, there's a little overlap there. It's interesting. What is it with authors where, <laughs> where you go somewhere? And I was just thinking when we had our snow here, walking out in the snow and you think, man, if I, if there was a body here, you know, and then your mind, right. Like you're thinking, Hmm there was a body in the boat, right? Yeah. And where we used to live, we had windows that overlooked the gorge waterway in um, Victoria. And I remember I would see the police boat sometimes going up and down. And it, again, just like you, right? You're all of a sudden, yeah. it, it, you start thinking about it. Yeah. yeah. So on your website, and you talked about this a little bit earlier, it says it's you we had you had mentioned you liked forensic work and you mentioned the science with studying nutrition and you have a scene in your novel with the coroner and a body and you write it very well where the reader is not swallowing trying to keep down their breakfast oh. you did it very well and um I was just wondering if if you had previous experience with that sort of that field. Right. Well, that's a very nice compliment. But no, um, I get help from my uh, advisors and I have a couple of police officer advisors and one of them's a retired IDENT officer. So um, uh, he's really helpful with um, with scenes like that. But no, I I think just the science of it all. Uh, um, uh, it just really clicked. I was at a writing workshop one day and a friend was reading a book on, she had ordered a book on forensics for writers. And she said, I said, oh, I'd love to take a look at that. And she said, well, you can take it. She said, I got the four pages that I needed for, um, uh, for my story, but I have no interest in reading the rest. And and I found it fascinating to read. And I, I sort of clicked, well, I had this background in biochemistry and microbiology and, and all of that sort of thing. And it, it's uh, an interesting application of that. So it, it, it sort of cemented for me that I wanted to um, stick with mysteries as, yeah. as, what I, as what I wrote. So it all kind of came together that way. So... Judy, I know I'm going to get emails and I'm curious too. This book, is it called Forensics for Writers? Yes, this one is um, uh, uh, BP Lyle's book. And um, it's a, I, I have a number of them, but this is the best. And, and uh, Doug Lyle also writes crime fiction. He has his own website and um, I saw a fantastically interesting webinar he did. It was probably a Sisters in Crime webinar he did in the last 
in the last couple of years. But but yeah, if you just Google forensics, a guide for writers, D.P. Lyle, um, there, there are a couple of other books in the series. One is on poisons. One is on police procedures, which I don't use very much because it's American based and I get more practical information from my police contacts here. But my sister once told me that maybe this stack of books shouldn't be in the living room when I'm inviting people for dinner, you know, especially the book of poisons, but there are a lot of resources out there for writers and, and, and this DP Lyle, L Y L E. He's an excellent resource for, for crime writers. Well, uh, so our listeners know, I will include that in our show notes as well. Yeah. Your scenes are relatable. Um, and also, okay, I'm making sure I don't get ahead of myself because I'm, I'm thinking of your story. I'm thinking of Nelson. Um, but anyways, your scenes are relatable. And I have been to a house party, like your character's Jack's birthday party. And um, I have been to, not lately, of course, but pre-COVID, a different time. Um, I've been to parties where I literally just wanted to hang out with the family dog. Okay. <laughs> I just, I was not into it. Um, have you had friends come up to you and ask if a certain scene was based on a real event or a certain character? Maybe Daniel, was she based off a real person? Just... I'm, I'm curious because I live in a small town and yeah. <laughs> I think it's part of living in a small town because I, I have been asked those yeah. questions by people, but my honest response is that my scenes and characters are come from my imagination. But having said that, I'm sure that there are lots of bits and pieces. I know there are from my personal experience that, that um, creep into scenes. So it wouldn't be a verbatim sort of thing or an exact character, but, uh, and, and some of it's probably unconscious. So it's very hard to discuss what is unconscious, but, but, um, but it, it is interesting how people see themselves in characters or they see people they know. And um, a character like Danielle, I tried really hard, uh, because uh, she she is a pretty unpleasant woman, <laughs> but uh, and she was very hard on. She was out to get Stella, but I had to be careful to make her human too, and um, not to make her too stereotypical. And um, and that's I I think when we shape characters, we bring in different qualities from from uh, from people we know. Yeah, yeah, because I know. I have one character who I refer to as the supreme being. And it's just, she's a very powerful woman in a powerful job. And uh, she's not based on any one person, but it's like you said, you're taking a trait, let's mm-hmm. say of someone you have met. Right. And you're taking that one trait and you're, you're just, you're kind of running with it. Right. And also, you know, and I know they always say that even if you have, because my gosh, you have some nasty characters <laughs> and that's a compliment, please. That's a compliment. Um, but still making sure that those nasty characters have 
a human element. Like they, there, there must be some, some one thing nice about that person for them to do what they're doing. Right. right. Yeah. It has to be depth. Yeah. Yeah. This is leading perfectly into talking about characters. Now the victim, Jack, he comes across as a man who, who thinks, who thinks he's a ladies man. Okay. Um, yeah, God. Okay. <laughs> and this is all, com- this is compliments because you do your characters. So they are, they stand out so well. We have the dark angel. Estella sometimes refers to her, Angie. And when I was her scenes, I, I pictured someone who was dark and almost kind of goth. Okay. That's just yeah. how my, my reader experienced. Yeah. That's their style. Good. Yeah. And like I say, definitely distinct characters. Um, and with the few I mentioned, oh, 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 and, and Kieran, there was something about him. I don't know whether it was like the, the mom and me who's, who's looking, reading about him and thinking, come on, kid, you can do it. You can, you can, you can, you can, you can go a good path, right? Mm -hmm. So was there one character that you, that surprised you that almost became like a favorite or as you're writing in our, you're pulled into your writing, was there a character that almost like demanded or wanted more attention? Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, I have to say I'm very fond of Pamela Ballard, who is Jack's stepmother. And um, she has a very nice relationship with, uh, with Kieran. Yeah. And I would say she became, came into the fore as um, an important, a really important person to the story. Um, because of something that happened to her. And um, it had to do with her relationship with Kieran. I really appreciated your compliment of saying that I had a lot of different characters that came across as very realistic. And one of the ways I try to do that is by giving them their own points of view. So I shift point of view a lot. So so when something's written in Kieran's point of view, um, I want him to be using the kind of words that a young, edgy guy would would um, would uh, use. And um, similarly with all the others. So I think, to be honest, one of the reasons I loved Pamela is that she's around my age and uh, she talks the way I talk. <laughs> and so... Um, She's not a goody goody, but but she's somebody that I thought, yeah, that she sounds like, uh, you know, uh, an older woman and um, she doesn't swear a lot. And um, it was very easy to write her language, uh, whereas I was always showing my younger characters to other people. Does this sound real? Is this the sort of thing that um, that they would say? And I think it was. Now, correct me, was it Kieran, the young teenage girl, Cassidy? Was, yes. was it? Yeah. yeah. I'd read, and so our listeners know, um, <laughs> we're doing this by Zoom, 
And I just want to make sure, Judy, you know that if I lean one way, it's because I'm trying to block my dog <laughs> from barking out the window. So if okay, I am I am here and I'm just trying to I feel like I'm a bit of a football player here blocking. But um, with Cassidy, her being a, a young teenage girl. Uh, and there are scenes with Cassidy and Stella and the mom. And Cassidy doesn't want to talk. And I have been there. Like the last person Cassidy wants to talk to is her mom with a certain situation. And I, I just thought, yeah, th this is exactly, this is exactly what it's like having a teenage girl, <laughs> right? Who's, you know, mad like madly in love with this young man, Kieran. And I thought, mm-hmm, yeah, been there, <laughs> right? So very definitely distinct voices very very well done very well done Thank yeah you very much yeah so then you have your characters and then you also have Nelson as your setting mm -hmm. and it is like another character in your book and I try not to ask questions that have been asked a thousand times before um you know like why Nelson like obviously you like Nelson but why Nelson well I, I think Nelson makes a very good setting for a mystery because of its many contrasts. It's a beautiful, idyllic little place. People think of it as pristine and innocent, and, but um, it has different sides. And uh, it's, it has this new age laid back vibe but at the same time, it's a solid historical place with its charming old stone buildings and brick buildings. So it has this enduring, uh, almost stodgy sort of uh, appearance as well. It's also isolated enough as a small town that it has its own police force. And, and it's got one of it, the oldest, if not the oldest municipal police force in, in BC and um, and it still has its own community paper. So uh, that's a nice thing about a small place that's just isolated enough that it still can have those, those things. Now the RCMP also has a presence outside the city limits of Nelson and the two police forces cooperate a lot. And, and I take some liberties with this being fiction where my uh, Nelson police department guys um, actually cover the North shore and areas around that in, in real life they don't. And, and I've been particularly fortunate in that the, um, the chief of police who's just retiring this spring has been my advisor um, on, on things too. So, so that, that's been really great. I, and my, the chief of police in my stories is a bit of a bozo. So I, I very humbly have gone both times to meet Paul with a copy of the book <laughs> saying uh, he bears no resemblance whatsoever to the chief of police in the stories. But um, anyways, there's these, these contrasts, the gorgeous natural setting, but there really is an underbelly also. Uh, you only have to meet a few social workers uh, and the sheriff at court and all of that sort of thing to know that, that real crimes can and do happen in this idyllic little town. You've touched on two things. Um, see, 
when I was reading your book, what was refreshing for me were you would be talking about Stella riding her bike. You would be talking about the bike shop, Jack's bike shop. And in Victoria, cycling is huge, absolutely huge. I mean, we have we have government buildings where there is an allocated area for employees, again, pre-COVID, mm-hmm. who we had so many employees riding their bikes into work instead of getting into their cars, mm-hmm. that there would be designated areas, covered areas, locked areas, and a change room where people could hang their bikes. Yeah. Yeah. And, and Victoria, you can ride anywhere because of your network of trails. Too. Yeah. Yeah. And it, I picked up on that a lot. And you, you mentioned about underbelly. So having said that, Victoria is a city. And when we first moved there 20 years ago, I had this, this tourist approach of, oh, it's all high tea at the Empress. And, right. you know, do you, pretty, pretty gardens. And, yeah, we yeah. have Butcher Stroll Gardens. And Hill Park. Yeah. yeah, but, and working in the prosecutor's office, I quickly learned there's right. still crime. It doesn't yeah. matter if it's the beautiful yeah. city. There is still some, there was some pretty heavy duty crime and even gang type crime. So yeah. swinging into style of writing and into genres and like I write thriller novels. Um, I've had, it's been amazing seeing the variety of novels people write being on this podcast. So what was it about cozies did like when you started writing did you think you would write a cozy or did you starting your you started writing your novel and it was almost like where your novel would take you then you would think about whether it was a cozy or whether it was a thriller or that sort of thing I, I didn't set out to write a cozy particularly because cozies there's is a pretty wide genre you have yeah. everything from cats solving mysteries to excuse me, uh, some things that are a little deeper in terms yeah. of humans. I I, uh, I was on a panel about this once, and so I did a little research, and I, and I think my books would fall into a category of sort of so- soft-boiled uh, crime. Okay. Um, okay. They aren't hard-boiled no- noir, yeah. but they're not super cozy either. Yeah. So... Um, with a cozy, you have to be very careful about a, a true cozy. There should be no bad language. There should be no explicit sex. There should be no violence. Well, I have some of all of those things because I feel it has to be realistic um, yeah. in terms of how people talk and act um, these days. But I also, particularly in the area of violence I don't like gratuitous violence and I don't like really graphic violence Mm -hmm. um I I I don't want to keep my readers awake at night sort of thing I like reading in bed before I go to sleep so I'm choosy about what um what I read so so that's where um where my series lies I put Ruth Randell in this category and I love her Wexford novels and and so those 
I read those years ago, and I, I, I suppose that books like that would have would have influenced me. And she's a great fa- favorite. But but I do love a lot of books, and they're not all uh, cozies or even all mysteries. Yeah. So um, yeah, but that, but it is interesting how things are classified because it makes a difference in terms of where they're placed. Yeah. In stores where they are placed as far as um, competitions go, that sort of thing. Yeah. yeah. So you mentioned um, Ruth Rendell. So I take it she was maybe one of your influences. You said you. I think probably. Um, uh, I I read a my favorite old series when I think about. Um, Mysteries are Peter Robinson's, P.D. James, um, also Elmore Leonard that certainly has some more explicit stuff, but is such a brilliant writer, Ian Rankin. Um, All of those books have, um, I think, do humor really well, too. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So there's something kind of real and human there. Yeah. Okay. So out of the books you've read... Do you believe you have read what you would consider would be almost like the perfect mystery novel? <laughs> well, you know, I I read a lot and I read so many books that I just love. And some of them are so compelling to me that I reread them just to see how beautiful the language is or to figure out how the spell is woven. I, my husband and I used to do a lot of bike tours in Europe and before the advent of, of um, uh, Kindle, yeah. <laughs> we used to carry books. I, I would think for a four week trip, I need four novels and um, Dave would bring one and you know a lot of travel books, which was more his interest. And I would read, those five novels that that we brought amongst us twice because I just need to keep reading all the time. So I I enjoyed that checking out what I um, what I liked about them. But you know I in terms of my favorite favorite books, two of my favorite stories from way back when are not mysteries at all. One is A Prayer for Owen Meany by John Irving, which I haven't read it for a long time, but it just left a, an impression on me of just a perfect, perfect story and a perfect character. And another one is Franny and Zoe by J.D. Salinger. And it's quite a short book and I've reread it several times. And, and it's, I don't know, I think it might've been written in the sixties, but I just find the relationships, the dialogue, really fresh and really um, realistic. So, um, but as far as crime writers go, I love Tana French, anything that she writes, but I also love any short story that Alice Munro writes. Um, So uh, I think it's good to read widely. Although if I only could choose one genre, it would probably be in the area of mysteries and thrillers. Okay. Okay. I'm going to ask you for my own reference. You said J.D. Salinger. What was the title of that book? Uh, Franny and Zoe. 
Franny and Zoe. Okay. Uh, he wrote The Catcher in the Rye, which was just the big famous book of the 60s. But he also wrote Franny and Zoe, and he wrote Hold High, the Roof Beam Carpenters. I'm not sure if he read, if he wrote other fiction besides those three books. Those were just so big back in the day. It's interesting, um, just the phenomenon now of, of, of series that some series are just huge and they, that wasn't always the case. Yeah, that's right. Your writing process, do you devote a set amount of hours per day to write or have you, or after you've written your first draft, do you put it aside for a few weeks and then go back and the self editor comes, the editor comes in? Cause I know like I said, I dropped off my manuscript at my editor's and it was weird because then week later, two weeks later, it was like click, 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 click. Like I thought, geez, I could tie that into this. Geez, this, I could do this. Oh, why didn't I think? And it's like, why didn't I think of this earlier? So what is, what is your writing process? Uh, do you take a break? I think um, I... You know, what you're describing seems so reasonable. And I think to take breaks and then come back is good. The only time I've done that is just the enforcement of maybe going on a long trip and not having a chance and then coming back to a project. But I love editing and polishing so much is that I have to hold myself back because I could just while away a day trying to write a perfect paragraph but I I did learn back all those years ago when Nicole and I were writing our nonfiction books that I could spend my whole Saturday afternoon writing a perfect page and then Nicole might say to me you know that's a bit of an indulgence I think we should drop that whole thing and you sort of think that was something I should have just thrown on the page and then come back to it later so I, I'm I'm probably still finding my routine. I'm about to get back to my third story, and I've had a long hiatus because I've been grieving the loss of my husband these last few months. But when I get back to the third book, um, I hope to establish um, a, a nice routine and to try some of these things of of getting more words down on the page and then coming back to it. Um, having let it um, rest for a while. Yeah, yeah. And my condolences with regard to your husband. Joanna. Yeah. Yeah. So I get to ask my favorite question. You and Stella Moscone are walking along the trail on (laughs) Elephant Mountain by Pulpit Rock. (laughs) And Judy, sorry, and Stella says, Judy, can I have a few words with you? <laughs> what would she say? What a, what a wonderful, uh, what a wonderful question. Maybe I'll walk the pulpit rock trail and talk to myself and uh, enact this. Mm-hmm. Um, well, she would be uh, very friendly and she would be quick to establish common ground with me because um, I think she would want something. Uh, from me. Um, She would want to dig into my plans of what I see for her in terms of her arc, because 
characteristically, we writers, um, we're hard on our characters. We, we are encouraged to keep throwing things in their path to keep things interesting. So um, maybe she would, uh, would uh, wanna talk to me about um, being not too hard on her, maybe making things easier for her. And, uh, but she's, I have a feeling that by the time we parted ways, I would be thinking, what just happened there? Because mm -hmm. I think she would be, uh, I think she would really know how to handle me and how to work on me a bit uh, to help her out. Yeah, because she's, she's going through some stuff, right? She's right? Like just in her personal life, she's yeah. going through some stuff, right? And yeah. not going to get any easier in the third book. Oh gosh. Okay. So that's, that's what I want to know. So what's next? Is there a third book coming out? Yeah. The third book I have, I have detailed it very thoroughly. Um, and uh, I'm excited to, to dig into it. It's interesting. I wrote uh, my outline very early, um, in fact, started it before the pandemic, but finished it very early on in the pandemic. And I think it's going to lend itself pretty well to the stage we're at now, because uh, Stella's husband is a very outdoorsy guy who got himself in a bit of bother by his zeal as a search and rescue, Nelson participant, he's going to be offered a hard to resist job in an outdoors school wow. in an isolated place for a term. And part of the deal of him going to teach at this elite isolated outdoor school will be free tuition for their boys. Oh. So poor Stella she sees this opportunity that makes a whole lot of sense, particularly in the pandemic, but she's going to be single for a while. Yeah. And that's going to make a big difference to what she gets into both personally and professionally. Oh, <laughs> having read the book, I'm like, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> oh, be kind of excited to get writing again, just talking to you, Joanna. Oh. So, so well, I hope when the third book comes out, you stop by here and just, if you want to try out, like that's the whole idea of why I call it the dressing room is so writers and authors can like pitch ideas, talk about their stories because chapters and bookstores, I'm positive they are going to be opening up. So mm -hmm. we will be able to get out there and, and, but I hope people still stop by the dressing room, just say, Hey, we're going to try some things out here. Cause I know with the feedback I'm getting, I have listeners from the United States, from Canada, from the UK, and they really enjoy these conversations. They enjoy the conversations. Well, I would love to stop by the dressing room again and talk about as I jump into book three. And as I've already mentioned with my example from those book club people, I find it so useful talking to readers. Uh, because you get feedback that you never, never uh, anticipate on yourself. And even though we like to talk to each other as writers, um, the, the pure readers are just such an amazing, amazing resource. So I would love to do that.
Excellent. Excellent. Well, I'm just even thinking about your book club people. Uh, come on, Ozzy. You've been a good boy. <laughs> I'm running out of treats. <laughs> um, just well, I think always seems to speak at a really appropriate point. <laughs> so I'm letting him I'm letting him just sniff the wrapper that all had all those treats in it. But it's interesting that your book club people and I just something about Karen. You know, right. like just um, yeah, yeah. I'm, so I'm, I'm interested that, that you had the same reaction. That's great. Yeah. yeah. So where can people find you on social media? You do have your own website. And I have my own website, jgtaves.com. Okay. And I am, uh, my handle is jgtaves on Facebook and Instagram. Okay. And on Twitter, I'm Judy Taves. Okay. But it's pretty easy if you put Taves in that uh, those other things pop up. So, uh, yeah. Well, I'll have, I, I put all this in the show notes. So, yeah. yeah. Well, Judy, thank you. Thank you for coming on. Thank you so much, Joanna. It was really a pleasure talking to you. I hope we can do it again sometime. Oh, definitely. Definitely. And so the, my listeners know, um, just, it doesn't matter. This podcast is on seven platforms. So it doesn't matter if you're on Spotify or if you have an Apple phone, if you just go to JCV Art Studio and jcvartstudio.net you can listen to judy's podcast and the other podcasts i have so okay judy well my hand is absolutely dog swallowed. <laughs> <laughs> thank you